Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you. You know, this is a, a moment, isn't it, really? This is the, really the first time that I'm speaking as, as pastor, so it's all so very exciting. And um, I really don't like that idea of being induced, though. I, 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 <laughs> I've, I was told that strange things happen up at this end of the country, but, um, but we'll, uh, we'll have to leave that one. Um, but my task... Uh, this evening is to draw the strings together of a series that, um, that's coming to an end, uh, Church for Dummies. And um, I want to speak frankly and from my heart as a pastor. Now, I only get chance to be a new pastor for about three and a half, four months. After that, you become part of the furniture, really, after about four months. Oh, it's, oh, it's him again, you know, and, and people kind of get used to you. So I've got this really great chance to be able to say a whole load of stuff which I won't get away with saying in about four or five months. Uh, I can be challenging, I can, I can say some, some edgy things which maybe Ian might not be able to get away with because some of you might think that Ian, who knows you, uh, he's like, is he picking on me? Is he, is he saying that because of what I said to him two or three months ago? But me, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you come to me and you say, say to me, um, you know, that wasn't really kind what you said there. My question to you will be, uh, uh, well, thanks for the feedback, but uh, sorry, what was your name again? Because I, I don't know. So I can get away with saying some things tonight, and I'm going to speak from my heart as, as the uh, new pastor here, and also take advantage of that uh, opportunity. So, so in, in this series, we've been looking at the kind of church that, that um, and some of the activities of the early church, and how the early disciples of Jesus walked. And Ian kick-started us. Isn't Ian great? He's a great speaker. He spoke this morning. He's, he's like a pro, isn't he? He's just brilliant with all those, all those notes and everything. We've just got such talented people in this church. But he kicked us off by looking at meeting the boss, if you remember, talking about Jesus and talking, talking about how those early disciples prayed and, and how they followed the teaching of Jesus. And we connect with that in our passage today, that the uh, early disciples, after the, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, they met together in house to house and they continued with the apostles' do doctrine and with prayer and with fellowship and they met in small groups, houses to houses, and all these activities. And then Nathan came up on the second week of this teaching series. Well, just, I mean, Nathan, just... Yeah, I mean, in BA Systems, where, who, who I used to work for, we would classify Nathan as, as, as one of those kind of uh, hypos, you know, one of those guys who are climbing up the ranks, all that kind of potential. There's some BA Systems guys here talk, talking to me. He's like a rising star, and we just love Nathan and what he's doing. But he came, with, he came to, the, um, uh, to the evening service, and he talked about Better Together. We were around all the tables, if you remember. Better Together, uh, fellowship breaking of bread, living life in community. That's going to be part of what we're doing as we're moving forward as a church. And then Rebecca last week. Wow. Amazing lady, Rebecca. We love you, Ted and Rebecca, and what you're doing with the young people. You know you know, you feel like you know someone. 
and you feel that you have connected with someone even when you haven't met them. Because so many people, when, I, when they talk to me about Fullwood FMC, uh, some certain things stand out. And one of the things is the children's ministry, the youth ministry. People come and they get connected and they say, one of the things that stand out is the youth ministry. And so people leave a trail of fruit and they leave a trail of ministry experience in their wake. And before I even met Ted and Rebecca and some of the team around Rebecca, I already knew what kind of person I was going to be connecting with. We appreciate you, Ted and Rebecca, and all that you do. But Rebecca came to us last week and she spoke about serving one another. Remember when Jesus washed his disciples, his, the feet of his disciples, serving one another. And these are all the, all the activities that the early church got involved with. They, they had, no one had need in the, in the early church. I've got a, which one is it? Is this the one that I do the, let's see if it works. Oh yes, it works, there we go. No one had need amongst them because they were serving one another. But what I want to try and do this evening is get behind some of the activities and what was motivating some of those activities. And the title that I've been given, this is my assignment this evening, the title that they decided on before I came here was the title of they, uh, Values Drive Results. Values drive results. And I think what they were getting at, even though they haven't told me, <laughs> I think what they were getting at is this, that there was all these results. If you go back in, in, in the chapter of Acts 2, it says 3,000 were added to the church that day. How many people know where I'm talking about there? The day of Pentecost, Peter preaching, 3,000 were added to the church that day. And then in our passage today, uh, th this evening, we're looking at daily Daily, the Lord was adding to the church. Those are the results of all these activities that they were doing. They had a value in fellowship. They had a value in serving one another. They had a value in meeting together. They had a, a value in take, getting into the word of the Lord and the, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer. And based on those values, it drove certain results. And so you have the re results. You have the activities, what they valued, but I want to go, what was driving the activities? And it's three words. The first three words that were ever spoken about the early church, what I believe to be three a secret, hidden in the text. The first three words, but the three most powerful words that was part of the culture of the early church that was ever spoken. It's, they're undynamic words. You don't want to be preaching in these words if you're going to try and get people excited. They're not the razzmatazz of miracles that's part of the context of what we're talking about here. They're probably overlooked, undervalued words, but I believe these three words are the source of power of the early church. And you can see them up in red there. And those three words are, they devoted themselves. Say it with me, please. They devoted themselves. 
It's not something that you would probably get too excited about, but I believe there's a secret that's contained in here. It wasn't that in the early church, it wasn't that this devotion that came from them came from above. It wasn't that leaders were trying to excite them with great programs. It wasn't that they were being stimulated from their environment around them. Oh, it was, it was strodal lights, it was, it was worship, it, it was awesome, the, the teacher was great. Wasn't the teaching great? Wasn't the programs great? They weren't being stimulated from what was around them. And they weren't being energized, full of passion and zeal for, uh, for what was coming down, the, down upon them. It wasn't a th- three-line whip from the pastor. Have you, been, uh, have you been serving today? Can you do this? Can you do that? There was a devotion that naturally sprung up from within them. It was part of the DNA. It was part of the culture of what was being birthed. And it was a devotion that sprung from something that God had done on the inside of them. them, A changed life. They devoted themselves. Let me just turn this around. Technology. Go They devoted themselves. And the inner devotion, the power behind all activities is what I want to touch on this this evening. I think that there is part of the DNA, part of the culture was that their zeal and their passion sprung from a response that they had encountered with God. How many people know that we are responders? That we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Sorry about this. I'm getting some problems with the technology here. I should have done what you did, Ian. I should have printed it out. There was, there was a, a pastor friend of mine who told me about a pastor that he had in, encountered. And he had been in ministry 20 years. And when he f- met this pastor, he hadn't, he hadn't seen him for such a long time. And when he met this pastor, he found him as a pub landlord. And he said to him, what's, what's happened? And he says, I got so shattered. He says... What I found was he, he, he had, been, had a nervous breakdown, he had been on tranquilizers, and afterwards he just said, I just had enough. And he said, I, I'd given up just trying to motivate people, I'd given up trying to coax people and persuade people. He says, all, every time I cast vision and tried to persuade people to get involved, they t- told me all the reasons why it wouldn't work. And he says, eventually I just gave up and now I'm a pub landlord and I love being a pub landlord. And and my pastor friend says, what do you mean you love being a pastor? What is it that you like about them? And he says, well, my drinkers are devoted all by themselves. 
He says, I don't have to persuade them to come. I don't have to send them out 15 email reminders. He says, they're there before I open the door. And he says, I actually have to ring a bell to try and get rid of them at the end of the evening. They're devoted to fellowship and they're devoted to coming and being part of it. And that spoke to my, my pastor friend because he was saying something about his particular, particular ministry in his particular context. We are responsible for the condition of our own heart, for the vitality, for the devotion that we have to God. I've really appreciated what um, uh, the warmth and the hospitality that I've received. I just want to say thank you to all the people that have said to Sarah and, and to myself, welcome. I mean, we've felt loved, we've felt encouraged. So many people have emailed me, texted me, I've had letters, I've had cards, I've had people coming up to me and they've been saying, Ian, we're, we're right behind you. We want to support you. If there's anything we can do, just let us know. Well, most people don't think that I'm going to take you up on that challenge. <laughs> but I'm going to tonight. This is something that I read when I was reading a commentary on this particular, this particular text. And this commentary said this, The internal devotion of the early church was the greatest gift a believer can hand to a leader. Because what you do yourself, for yourself, you do not need anyone else to do for you. I'm going to just read that again. The internal devotion of the early church was the greatest gift a believer can hand to a leader. Because what you do for yourself, you do not need anyone else to do for you. The early church was handed this priceless gift. It was hidden subliminally in the text that we were looking at. They devoted themselves. They're, they're, the energies were not springing from the pastor trying to convince them or persuade them or to coerce them. I've been in churches where it's bordering on nagging sometimes. But there's just this internal DNA devotion that came from the people. And what I would love is to lead a church where they devoted themselves. It, wasn't, it wouldn't be a question of my inspiration or my challenging, but it was something that came from within. Not that the early church... Devotion and zeal and passion for the things of God, for all those activities that we've been talking about on Church for Dummies, didn't come from the top down, it came from the bottom up, from within the hearts of God's people. Salvation results in devotion. There is this, in salvation there is this inner desire. Jesus talks about it as blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be saved. And 
these three words, sometimes I wonder if we had if we had a teleporter, if we had one of those time machines where we could take an, someone from the early church and bring them to our church today, I wonder what they would think. I wonder how they would feel. I think they would probably be shocked at all the activities that we, that we do. I think the early church believer would probably look around and they would say, what do you mean a Christian without devotion? What do you mean a Christian without passion? That's a bit like saying a leopard without spots or a zebra without stripes. That's a bit like saying a newborn baby who doesn't cry when it's hungry. That's the the image that you get in 1 Peter, isn't it? As newborn babes desiring the pure milk of God's word that you grow thereby, it says. And so there's this inner strength and compulsion that comes up in the early church. And in some churches, I don't always see this. We need the strokes and we need the affirmations and we need the challenges because it doesn't come always naturally from within. Sarah and I have kind of talked about this quite a lot. Sarah didn't wasn't born in a Christian home. She was born in non-Christian homes, and Sarah got saved at university. And, and she, she would take about three buses to get across London just to seek out another meeting. And she would, she would go up to the door. She, she would race after every meeting. She would be in the el- try and get into the elders' meeting, the trustees' meeting, the men's meeting. There was such a hunger. <laughs> Such a hunger, she would go. She said to me she would pedal an hour just to get into a meeting. And when she would knock on the door and they would open the door and she would say, uh, Hi, I'm, I'm Sarah and I, I've just got, I just got saved a, a couple of months ago. And uh, I understand that there's a meeting here and she, they would say, oh, Well, well um, it's not really a meeting for you. And, what do, you, what do you mean a meeting for me? How can this be not a meeting for me? There was such a hunger that would come. And yet, we, we sort of have talk, spoken about the language that people would use. Language like this. Now you're a Christian, you have to read your Bible. Now you're a Christian, you've got to give money. Now you're a Christian, you should be praying. It assumes that there will be a reluctance to pray, to give. And yet there was a passion there already. Instead of using language like, now you're a Christian, you're just going to want to consume your Bible. Let Let me give you some help in doing that. Now you're a Christian, you're going to want to, pr- want to pray, you're going to want to give. Let me show you ways in which you're able to do that. You're saved, and because you're saved, you're going to want to give. Salvation 
leads to devotion. What I've found as a pastor is this, is that I can't, I can't raise the dead. Only Jesus can do that. I can't mend a broken heart. Only Jesus can do that. What the job of a pastor is, is to facilitate an environment to, to lead a community whereby those desires that are already on the inside of you can be fulfilled. The desire to understand God's word, the desire to pray, the desire to worship, the desire to join together in fellowship and small groups is already there on the inside of you. Because when you have a situation where you are chasing after people who are reluctant, when you have a situation where you are, you are trying to motivate something which only God can birth and do in someone's life, then as a pastor you just get worn out. It leads to hernias and strokes and nervous breakdowns and all sorts of other things because you're trying to do something that only God can do in someone else's life. Because that they devoted themselves came naturally from a response of knowing that God loved them. It was birthed within them by the Spirit of God. This is what it says in Romans. We all know that scripture in Romans chapter 12. It's, and, and Paul says, in the light and in the, in the light of God's mercy, how can we not present ourselves as a living sacrifice. If you, have you heard the language of Paul there? In the light of all this wonderful, great salvation that God has done for us, how can we not present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and available to God? And this is what I found is this. If there is no devotion, if I don't see that, then I just have to step back and see, Lord, what are you doing in that person's life? Sometimes we have to go back to basics. We have to go back to seeing the evidence of a changed life. I'm talking about salvation, which is, I was blind and now I see. This is where I was and God changed my heart and now I'm like this. And when that change comes... Desires change. The devotion comes. It's not that some people are devoted and other people aren't. Everyone's devoted. The question is, what are you devoted to? And this is what we find in the Christian. The Christian is this. The Christian is someone who's a devoted follower of Jesus. To know him. To become like him. And to do what he says. And the Spirit of God comes. And it's the definition of a Christian that you've been recreated. You're now a new creature. You're alive to the Spirit of God. And that devotion comes as a natural consequence of that salvation. And so if I don't see pursuit, I don't believe that there's desire. Because pursuit is the evidence of desire. Pursuit is the evidence of desire. Every lady who's 
single, she knows that. If there is no pursuit, there is no desire. When I first met Sarah, something clicked on the inside of me. And and it was about chasing. It was about pursuit. I, I couldn't help myself. There was just this inner compulsion on the inside inside of me. And that's what happens spiritually in our lives. When, when you encounter the love of God and you understand such a great salvation, we go back to 1 John 4.19. We love him because, because he first loved us. So my question to you is this. If devotion is the evidence of salvation. And you look at your own life and you say, do I have that craving on the inside of me to know him more? To serve? For worship? For prayer? And quite often in the culture we try and damp it down. Oh, they're just just too heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You get comments like that. Oh, they're just being too spiritual. And that's just damping down. But this was a culture that sprung naturally from encountering the love of God and a changed life on the inside. And these are my two questions for you. If you don't sense that there's that devotion, that internal spring of zeal and passion and life and energy that, that, that caused the early church to continually bring all those activities that we've spoken about in this series, and therefore the results that followed. Two questions. Number one, am I really saved? Because devotion is the consequence of salvation. Oh, Ian, what are you saying? That's a bit... That's a bit off. Are you actually challenging my salvation? I don't know. Remember, I I don't know your name. We'll have to be introduced later. Yeah? But I I can't know that, can I? I I don't know because we all know that you can be coming to church for years and years and years and never have an encounter with the Spirit of God. It's churchianity but not Christianity, yeah? But if you do know that you're saved, and yet you still don't have that sense of devotion on the inside of you, that they devoted themselves, my second question to you is, have you left your first love? Remember the book of Revelation. That was the statement that Jesus made about one of the churches, isn't it? You, 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 you are so good as a church. You've done so many great things, and you've fed the poor, etc., etc. But I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. We're responders. That's what we are. We are wired to be responders. God proactively stepped in first and demonstrated his love towards us. Changes our heart and then we respond back to him with devotion and affection. To the the degree that you have a revelation of the love of God, to that degree, you're going to be devoted and passionate with the energy of the early church. I just want us to take a moment, if the worship band can come back, please. And consider this 
most important aspect. I believe it's going to be part of the culture of the church, this church, moving forward, that we have an atmosphere, we have an energy, we have the zeal of the Holy Spirit, and we're known for being a people who are fully devoted to the Apostles' Doctrine, to fellowship, to meeting together, to prayer, to worship. Why? Because we've been dramatically changed by the love of God in salvation. Let's take a moment. We're going to we're going to ask the Spirit of God to come here this evening, and I want you to examine yourself. That's what the that's what that's what it says to. See if there's any wicked way in me, isn't it what it says in Isaiah? And lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe there's some issues of sin that's dampened down your devotion. Maybe there's issues of fear and anxiety that's dampened down your devotion to God. Maybe you don't sense that life springing up from within you. This evening we can close that down. And we can renew it and we can draw a line in the sand and we say, I'm going to live as a devoted follower of Jesus. Time to get all the blockages cleared out and let that spring of life come up from within you. It's not by self-effort. It's not by, I'm going to try and read my Bible, try and read my Bible. No, no, no. They were just devoted from within. It just came up as part of the response of salvation and what God was doing on the inside of them. I want you to stand, please, church. Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, I ask that you do the work that only you can do. Search every heart, search every soul. Birth your power and your devotion on the inside of your people as a natural response for them having a revelation and insight of what you've done for them through Jesus. That their hearts are put on fire again for you, for your love. Maybe there's people here this evening says, Ian, I haven't got that internal power and zeal in the way that I know I should. I want it to be spontaneous. I want it to come from within me. So much pain, so much difficulties have happened, so many fears and anxieties. And now my Christian faith is just apathetic and mundane. I'm just going through the motions. Well, this evening, 
I'd like the opportunity to pray for you. We have a prayer team who will come and pray for you. And as we sing this next song, I want you to sing it as a devotion to God. You can either just in your seat, in, in your, where you're standing right now, just offer yourself afresh again to God and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, change me. If you want prayer, come up the front and I'll pray for you as we sing this next song. Thank you, Stephen.